We've been fighting for a long time in Syria. I've been president for almost two years, and we've really stepped it up. And we have won against ISIS. We've beaten them, and we've beaten them badly. We've taken back the land, and now it's time for our troops to come back home. Following a surprise announcement by President Trump to withdraw troops from Syria, the Secretary of Defense made an even more surprising announcement. General James Mattis decided he had had enough. His resignation now leaves Washington and the world wondering what happens next with U.S. foreign policy. This is TikTok. I'm David Myers. Joining me today is Bloomberg's Nick Wadhams, who covers national security in Washington. Thanks for joining us, Nick. Thank you. So how surprising was General Mattis' resignation? I think his resignation was more shocking in a way than it was surprising. Um, The president in recent weeks had suggested that he wasn't uh, 100% happy with General Mattis. At one point, he'd referred to him as a little bit of a Democrat. uh, And it's sort of signals like that that make you think, "Uh uh-oh, something's coming. But more broadly, it was just the sense that uh, Mattis was someone who preached a line that the president himself often disagreed with, the focus on alliances, the importance of of alliances, and the importance of going after uh, strategic competitors like China and Russia, and that was just something that was increasingly putting him at odds with President Trump. The thing that was a surprise was the way he went. So mm. when past cabinet members have gone uh, out or have been fired or resigned, they've gone quietly. Uh, but uh, Secretary Mattis, when he left, released this letter that was basically a repudiation of President Trump's worldview and made clear that he was not retiring, as President Trump had said in a tweet, but was really resigning in protest. First off, have we ever seen a Secretary of Defense resign like that? And have we ever really seen a cabinet official resign in that way? Uh, no, it, certainly for the Trump administration, this would, was new. You know, President Obama went through a, a few defense secretaries himself, and there was some anguish between him and Chuck Hagel. So. Uh, it's not a situation that is unprecedented uh, in the sense that there there are tensions between a president and his defense secretary. I mean, George W. Bush and Donald Rumsfeld famously uh, were not on great terms uh, in the end of that situation. Uh, but this was really unprecedented in, in the sense that Mattis was basically saying all of these things that people had feared for a long time, but administration officials had insisted were not true. Uh, So for a long time, the administration had said, no, disregard what the president says. He really does believe in these alliances and the importance of the NATO alliance and the importance of uh, U.S. troops in Syria and Afghanistan and things like that. Um, But then Mattis came out with this letter and basically said, you know, our views are so different on these issues that you have the right to have a defense secretary who shares those views. So making clear that everything, in a lot of ways, the president had been saying or people had been reassuring us about over the last many months uh, had not been true. And how has the White House responded to this in the past 24 hours? Um, It's been pretty amazing, actually. Uh, Sarah Sanders uh, last night at one point said uh, a lot of the concern over this was nothing more than palace intrigue. They have a good relationship. We expect them to continue to have a good relationship. The president has a great deal of respect for Secretary Mattis. He's going to stay on for another couple of months. I think that's a great indicator of the type of cooperation they have. 
so they have been trying to portray this sort of as a situation where everything is normal. Um, I mean, it has been an incredibly chaotic uh, 24 hours. Uh, you know, you obviously have the, the shutdown fight happening, uh, the Mattis resignation. You had the U.S. pulling troops out of Syria. And then just hours after uh, Mattis announced his resignation, you suddenly had uh, this reporting that uh, the U.S. was cutting troop numbers in Afghanistan in half. Uh, pulling 7,000 troops out of the country. So there's been so much that they've had to field, um, and focus has now shifted back to the shutdown that they haven't spoken extensively about it. But but behind the scenes, uh, there are a couple things going on. One is a fair amount of hand-wringing, you know, here we go again, more chaos. But the other among President Trump's supporters are feeling that, you know, Mattis was not representative of what the president wanted. Uh, he had, The president had been chafing against Mattis's attempts to sort of box him in for a long time. And this would allow the president to finally do uh, what he had promised to do in the election and was in large part why he won the presidency. So a sense that, um, you know, the president was getting back to uh, basic principles and, you know, hitting this promises, um, promises made, promises kept slogan that he's been preaching. Is there a short list yet for Mattis's replacement? Uh, not publicly. I mean, um, there have been several names uh, listed. Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas is one he had believed uh, to have been considered for uh, the CIA job that went to Gina Haspel. Um, potentially Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham. Another is Jack Keane, a former general who um, had been offered uh, the Secretary of Defense job, uh, but turned it down, um, though he's said uh, he does not want to return uh, to public life. Uh, one of Mattis's deputies could, could be in the running, but at this point, it's really anyone's guess. Um, and it's not known what the president's thinking is. He has come under a lot of pressure, even from members of his own party, Mitch McConnell, who traditionally would uh, has supported the president or kept silent when he didn't, um, put out a statement last night that was extraordinary because it implicitly criticized the decision um, and the tension that caused Mattis to, left, to leave and, and urged the president to uh, nominate someone who had similar views as Mattis. So the president will have to weigh that. You know, if he goes with someone who's too ideologically extreme, there's going to be sharp resistance in the Senate, which will have to confirm him. I mean, there are a lot of people the Senate doesn't want to fight with the president on, but on this one, the Republicans are signaling pretty clearly that they will be willing to fight President Trump on his nominee if they don't like him. Whomever is the pick to replace Mattis, Mattis leaves behind a pretty hellish portfolio. Um, what happens, like first off, in Asia when it comes to the North China Sea, or even more importantly, North Korea? Well, that's what's so extraordinary and why there was so much shock around this resignation, because it suddenly opens up the realm of possibilities of things that the president might be willing to do that had heretofore been considered to be sort of untouchable. So the big one uh, would be whether he would cut uh, the number of U.S. troops in South Korea. Um, he has intimated in the past that the U.S. was spending too much money on its troop deployment in South Korea and questioned why the United States had so many troops there. Um, if he gets into a conversation with the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, and makes some promise, um, who will be there to stop him from ordering 
uh, a withdrawal of some number of the U.S. troops stationed there. I mean, such a, a situation would really fundamentally reorganize the security architecture uh, of the Asia Pacific. It would be a huge uh, game-changing decision. Uh, it could possibly lead Japan to want to pursue nuclear weapons on its own. That's also something President Trump had said uh, Japan might consider doing. Uh, so when you started looking at those possibilities, um, you just start sort of questioning everything you've held to be true for so long. Would he uh, potentially consider leaving the NATO alliance? Mm -hmm. um, Nikki Haley yesterday talked about uh, the faults of the U.N. And, what, and raised the possibility that maybe the U.S. shouldn't even be in the U.N. So you, so you start to sort of see these scenarios um, that, that were just ruled out previously but suddenly seem possible. And what type of scenarios do you see possibly happening when it comes to our relationships with Russia? Well, uh, that's a, a really interesting question because it, from the policy standpoint, the U.S. has been um, quite severe and strict with Russia, and that hasn't just emanated from the Defense Department. You've seen that from Treasury with a whole uh, litany of sanctions uh, from the State Department, um, expulsions of, of Russian diplomats. Um, and continued scrutiny from Congress. Uh, so Mattis spelled out in his letter concern that the U.S. Uh, needed to be to treat Russia as an adversary and, and not as a country that the U.S. was willing to get close to. But Russia, and some of the people we've been speaking to suggest that that even would be a bridge too far, that uh, there, is, there is too much opposition among too many uh, levels of the government, including in Congress, for the president to really do anything um, that would fundamentally change uh, that very competitive and hostile relationship. Considering all of that, Nick, considering North Korea, considering Russia, considering the campaigns uh, in the Middle East that, you know, Mattis is resigning over, and you have this government shutdown, people don't realize how big of a deal it is that he's leaving because everyone right now is, is talking about the battle over the budget. But this is huge. It's really, it was, you know, in an administration that's sort of known for jaw-dropping moments. This was definitely one of the biggest ones, um, in part because of the way he resigned with the letter that so openly exposed that rift, but uh, in part because um, there's a sense that Mattis, uh, one of the things he valued was was process, was decisions being made in a deliberative way um, through what's called the interagency process. So where various government agencies weigh in and then a decision is made and that is then brought to the president who makes the final call. Um, whereas the concern is that now uh, with Mattis gone, uh, you know, already there had been a lot of concern that that process was breaking down. And with him out of the picture now, it's really seen that the process will be totally destroyed and you will basically just have a president going by his gut and making decisions and essentially dispensing with uh, the entire architecture of the bureaucracy underneath him. So that being said, and considering that Mattis is the last, quote, adult in the room to leave after Rex Tillerson and H.R. McMasterson and, and outgoing chief of staff John Kelly. Is the president now executing foreign policy without a safety net? <laughs> well, you know, 
he certainly uh, does not have the voices in the room who would be preaching a more establishment, uh, what we would consider to be a more establishment line of what foreign policy means. So the voices he's hearing are Mike Pompeo, who really questions the value of a lot of uh, these international institutions uh, like the United Nations that the United States essentially helped create as a way of furthering its own interests. Uh, you know, the, all of these things, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, these were all organizations that the U.S. set up as a way to expand its influence across the globe. So you now have a group of advisors who see these organizations as constraining the United States or working against it, and that's really been part of the tension. So the concern going forward is that uh, there are not those advisors who would be able to uh, steer the president away uh, from making decisions that would go against what is sort of known as the, the international order and, and that sense of U.S. global leadership. However, as the White House, as the president's supporters have been saying, he's made no secret of his disdain for those groups for a long time, so why shouldn't he carry out the policies that that, uh, he advocated during his election, and a lot of people would argue uh, led to him uh, winning the Oval Office. Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Make sure to follow Nick and his reporting on Twitter. He's at N. Wadhams. That's the TikTok for today. Thanks for listening, and please head on over to iTunes and let us know what you think. I'm David Myers. You can follow me on Twitter at David F. Myers, and you can get all your updates 24-7 at TikTok. <laughs>